Welcome listeners to the Premium Investment Leader Series podcast. Uh, today with great pleasure, we're joined by Mark Landau to talk about the recent market volatility, contrarian ideas, and the role of shorting in portfolios. Mark is a Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer of L1 Capital. Since founding L1 in 2007, Mark has jointly managed L1's Australian equity strategies, including the flagship L1 Capital Long Short Strategy. Launched in 2014, the Long Short Strategy has been the best performing Long Short Fund in Australia since inception. The group managed over $5 billion. Prior to founding L1 Capital, Mark worked at Invesco as an investment analyst in the large cap Australian equity fund and investment manager in the Invesco Small Companies Fund. Previously, he was a senior strategy consultant at Accenture. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Now, today we're, we're going to talk uh, about some recent events. We're, we're also talk about uh, your philosophy, how you impart that within uh, your, your portfolios. But I think a great place to start is, is talking about the environment because it's quite a particular environment. So we're, we've got a rising inflation environment and, and talk of a recession out there. So how does this backdrop influence your mindset and what are the things investors should consider that might be different in this environment compared to others? Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely one of the most unusual periods that we've been through. Um, yeah, unless you've been in markets for more than 40 years, you haven't invested through a high inflation market before. And we're also coming into a period where the leading economic indicators are very clearly flagging a likely recession in the US. So what we think is really unusual about this period is um, very different from every other cycle that I've seen in my 20 years in the, in the market in a professional capacity. Essentially, every other downturn, you've seen central banks come to the party and cut rates or inject liquidity into the market. We think this time it's going to be very different. The the central banks, particularly the Fed, is being very aggressive in raising rates, taking liquidity out of the system. And it's going to mean that different parts of the market are going to perform very differently from what's worked previously. And I think a lot of investors are playing the same playbook as what they've done historically. And essentially, we think it genuinely is different this time. Um, One of the other things that's interesting is... Um, in this environment, both from a recession risk point of view and also from a um, higher inflation point of view, you want to be in companies that have relatively conservative balance sheets. Um, A lot of debt is going to be a much bigger problem than it has been for the last 10 or 20 years. And a lot of the um, companies that have benefited from low interest rates are now going to be suffering from higher interest rates. And I think that's a key um, thing for investors to focus on going forward, not just to think about the earnings, but also how safe the balance sheet is of these companies. And I think balance sheet, you know, we haven't seen that kind of uh, focus on it probably back to 2008 or so. So um, that is something that uh, people have forgotten about before. So you talk about different parts of the market that will work and not work. Um, quite a feature of your strategy is, is shorting. So it's kind of worth uh, exploring uh, that bit there. So. So how do you see the role of shorting in your portfolio? Because people have very different perspectives on why they do it. So can you walk us through how and why? I guess for people who haven't shorted before, essentially shorting is where you sell a stock that you don't own, you sell it first, and then you look to buy it back later and you hope that the share price has fallen in the meantime and, and you profit from that share price fall. So particularly in a market that we're in at the moment where we're basically in a bear market, there's a lot of parts of the market where share prices are falling to be able to short is a huge advantage for us that most other funds don't have. You know, the average fund that you invest in is what they call a long only. They essentially just buy a bunch of shares, 
And a rising market is you know, well suited to that type of strategy, but obviously a falling market makes it very difficult for them. So one of the things that, that we focus on is really trying to find those companies where either the market is too optimistic about the future prospects for a business and you're hitting some sort of negative inflection point, maybe for their earnings or maybe for some sort of new competitor or threat to their business model. And at the moment, because we're at such an extreme inflection point from an economic point of view, and also the, I guess, aftermath of COVID, we're seeing lots of opportunities for shorting. So, you know, what, one of the things we did um, at the start of 2022 and, and late 2021 was to short some of those non-profitable tech stocks. Um, we thought that that was a really unique opportunity. There were uh, one of the biggest overvaluations of stocks we've ever seen in our careers. Um, you had companies trading on you know, infinity times earnings because they had no earnings, they had no cash flow. Um, you had very promotional management teams that were inflating investors' expectations, share prices that had rallied four or 500% in a very short period of time. And then what we've seen is that over the following six months, as we were short this part of the market, they fell roughly 70% in the space of six months as the reality of their business model and the reality of no cash flows and no earnings started to come to the fore. And particularly in an environment where bond yields are rising, that tends to punish companies that trade on the highest multiples mm. because you're discounting those future cash flows much more aggressively than in a zero interest rate world. Yeah. And I, I did enjoy uh, in your, your write-up, so you've got a chart there on non-profitable tech as well too. So I imagine that they've fed into some of those ideas. Another uh, short in area is, um, that you've uh, talked about is uh, US retailers. Do run us through that one. Um, so in around March, April of this year, uh, we, we were doing lots of our channel checks. We were talking to lots of companies, talking to suppliers and, and all the various um, stakeholders that, that have some insight into the future of retail. And the consistent feedback we were getting is that retailers uh, were essentially going to be hit by two things. One was that their sales were likely to come off as US consumer spending moderated, as, as the economy re-emerged post-COVID and people started to spend on experiences, not just goods. And secondly, there was going to be a glut of inventory that was going to um, arrive at all of these retailers at the same time, so they would be forced to discount to be able to clear that inventory. And then um, over the following couple of months, we saw um, large earnings and sales downgrades from Walmart and Target, and that really set the tone um, for the rest of the sector. So we were short um, companies like Williams-Sonoma, um, Logitech. So I think a, a lot of the um, insights we had then have largely played out. Um, we've, you know, the, the sector is now well shorted, it's now um, disliked, but we've moved on and found um, further opportunities. Excellent. No, thanks for that. And so talking about investment styles, so you, you get labels that put on value, growth, GARP, etc., contrarian. Um, can you just talk to us about your own investment style and and then as a follow-up to that, you know, what sort of markets tend to be a headwind or a tailwind for you for your strategy? Um, I guess most people would describe us as having a quality value bias. And, and what I mean by that is we're trying to buy the best quality business possible at the best possible price. And you know, a growth manager will basically be trying to find the best possible company and a value manager will be trying to find the best possible value company. And we think each of those have risks. So if you're a growth manager, you risk overpaying for a great business. So it may be a great business, but not a great investment. And equally, you might find the best value company. It might, be, it might look really cheap on financial metrics, but the quality of the business is poor and it's going to be a value trap. So essentially, we focus on both. And we think that over time, if you can buy a great quality business at an opportune time when the market might be obsessing over a short-term issue, 
or it might be a cyclical business and it's at the bottom of the cycle and things are likely to improve from here, um, you can often buy those companies at great prices and that's exactly what we're finding at the moment. There's, you know, the average stock in our portfolio today is trading on a P of nine. Mm. And a lot of these companies generate really good cash flows, really good return on capital. Um, they've got great management teams. So you're not having to, to buy a really poor business, you're just buying it at a time when the market typically for some short-term reason, has, has become negative on the company. So in terms of uh, stocks that we think represent both quality and value, a um, company like Qantas, um, which has obviously been in the news recently for, for the operational issues that, that many airlines around the world are facing with you know, delays and um, lack of staffing. Uh, but if you look at the share price today, it's trading at pretty much the same level as it was when Australia was in lockdown, when there were no domestic flights, when international borders were closed, the balance sheet was overgeared at that time, and there was a real risk that you'd have another capital raising or even the company going bust if, if the vaccines didn't work. So the share price today is basically at the same level as there, despite the fact that you've had a boom in travel, uh, planes are full, fares have gone up dramatically. We've also seen a billion dollars of cost out. And then on top of that, the company's now undergeared. They've got excess capital and they're announcing buybacks and we think they're gonna start paying out dividends. So the company's in a much better place. Um, it's a company that generates really good returns on capital. Um, it's got a very strong position in the domestic and international markets and a quarter of their earnings now come from their frequent flyer business, which is an incredibly high quality business. It's grown earnings at roughly 10% per annum for the last decade and we think that's underappreciated as well. Um, in terms of those, uh, I guess, types of markets that tend to suit us or not, um, the biggest headwind that we've had pretty consistently over the last eight years is that we're a value manager and we have a contrarian bias. And if you look at the types of stocks that have done well over the last eight years, it's tended to be growth stocks and momentum stocks, which is the exact opposite of how we invest. Um, so we're, we're really pleased that you know, through the stock picking of our team, we've been able to deliver close to a 20% return per annum after fees, and that compares to roughly a 6% return per annum for the Aussie market. Uh, but we've done that with a big headwind, and we think that going forward, as we start to get a, a rebalance between the, the valuation of growth stocks versus value stocks, we think that headwind is about to turn into a tailwind um, and that would be a, a much easier way to make money for us than, than having to pick the eyes out of the market um, month to month. That's good. I, I do want to touch on that later on when we kind of look at, you know, some of the uh, construction ar around um, uh, managed investment uh, types. But uh, let's just stay on with, you know, the market opportunities uh, that you talked about before. So what, what do you think the market's missing at the moment? Um, I think there's, there's two things that I'd point to. There's, there's a lot of things that we think that where, where there's opportunities in the market, but I think the two that stand out for me are, um, based on the meetings that I have with, with clients and also with, with other fund managers, I think there's a belief that now's the time to be buying back into those growth stocks that might have sold off in the last six oh, months. By the dip type of uh, mentality. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that people genuinely believe this is just some short-term aberration and we're going to go back to the same market that's worked for the last 10 years, and, and I strongly disagree with that. Um, the other part of the market that, um, this will sound counterintuitive, but effectively the, def the defensives are not safe. Mm -hmm. And defensive stocks are defensive businesses, but they're so crowded and they're so expensive that they're actually not a safe investment because people are buying a yield stock on a two or 3% yield when the risk-free rate is now four. Now that might've made sense when rates were zero, but it doesn't make sense to, to pay a higher price um, in today's world when you've got much higher interest rates. So we think that defensives look expensive and crowded. We think growth stocks uh, are structurally gonna be less attractive going forward. And the, the place to be, I think, is gonna be in low PE stocks where they've got undergeared balance sheets, 
and you've got companies that have organic growth options. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting a safe balance sheet, you're getting a very high cash generation for that business, and they've got the ability to grow those earnings going forward. So it's not every value stock, it's, but it's a subset of those stocks. And then from a sector point of view, um, a lot of the clients and a lot of the you know, friends I have in the industry um, tend to be very negative or cautious on the energy sector. Um, you know, we've been very positive on that space for the last couple of years. We continue to think there's a lot of upside in those stocks. Uh, when you think about um, the three major things that are going to happen to the oil market over the coming year or two, um, they're all positive. Um, the first one is there's been a dramatic undersupply in new production in the oil sector for the last seven years. So you just haven't had OPEC enough. OPEC as well, recently, cutting too? Absolutely. So yeah. OPEC, just, you know, just in the last uh, week or two, announced um, a two million barrel a day cut to production, and that's with an oil price of close to $100 a barrel. So a lot of the you know, broker forecasts are predicting 60 or $70 a barrel long term. It's hard to see how it gets there if every time the oil price gets down to $80 or $90, OPEC announced a cut. Secondly, um, the sources of new supply tend to come from OPEC Plus, which we've just established are not going to be helpful. Secondly, the Western oil companies are now allocating all of their capital in renewables. So they're not investing in new oil production because there's a lot of ESG pressure for good reason to, to encourage um, them to allocate capital into much more environmentally friendly parts of the world. But the result of that is you're not getting the typical supply response to high prices. And then the last one is U.S. shale. Um, U.S. shale was always the swing factor that would, that would inject production into the market very quickly. Um, basically, their shareholders are demanding that all capital goes back to them in the form of buybacks and dividends, and none of it's getting reinvested. Um, the other points that are really positive for oil is also that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is about to go from injecting a million barrels a day into the market, and, and Biden has been very um, aggressive in the way that that oil reserve has been injecting um, fuel into the market, about a third of the reserves being depleted, that's about 200 million barrels of oil. And once we get to November, that's going to cease. So that extra oil won't, will come out and also that 200 million barrels will have to get replenished. Mm. We're at the lowest level in the last 40 years for that oil reserve. And I, I think the last lot of buying they did like at $14 a barrel and so prices are nowhere near that now. No, so I think you know, the supply looks very difficult to bring on to, to address the rising demand. And then the last thing, which I think is very underappreciated, is everyone has been negative on oil because they're worried about the US economy going into recession, which is a very valid concern. But what they're missing is a much bigger positive, and that is China reopening. So our view is that China in the next month or two is going to start to reopen. You know, 1.4 billion people that haven't been flying very much, they haven't been driving as much as normal that's going to have a far bigger positive impact on oil than the reduction from the US going into recession. So I think for all of those reasons and the fact that the stocks that we're buying are generating about a quarter of their market cap in cash flow every year and they're giving you that cash flow back, so particularly the Canadian oil stocks are our favourites, um, that's the part of the market that I think people are typically underinvested in. Excellent. No, no, some really good points there. And I think where, where you touched on the, the kind of counterbalance of China reopening versus US recession is a is a really interesting point there. And so, so keeping on this um, theme of uh, equity dislocation and uh, volatility, the, the sell-off has been, it's been very extreme over the last, you know, nine months, but even within pockets in the, even in the last month or two as well. So how are you seeing the, the best way of playing into this market volatility? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we actually like the volatility. Um, it's not enjoyable when it happens. You know, it's stressful and it you know, makes you sort of 
feel like an idiot or some occasionally a genius um, depending on the day of the week. But what it does is it just throws up lots of opportunities because we are very clinical in the way that we go through the market and try and pick the eyes out of things that are being mispriced. And volatile markets by their nature um, tend to throw up a lot more opportunities than stable markets. So what we find over time is that we tend to go through a period where a bout of volatility hits and then over the following six or 12 months, we tend to have a really good period of performance as we've been able to take advantage of those mispriced stocks. Um, one of the things that's different going forward is that over the last decade, it's tended to be a market that's been well suited to buy and hold. So if you just bought NASDAQ a decade ago and then you held your Apple shares and your Google shares for a decade, it was, it was the right thing to do. We think that going forward, this, this volatility is going to be persistent because a lot of the uncertainties in the world are not going to get resolved quickly. So the geopolitical tensions and the situation with Russia, Ukraine, or central banks and how they're going to navigate this dual mandate between inflation and full employment. Um, and there's a bunch of other issues you know, in, in the Australian economy as well. So I think this volatility is here to stay and it's not going to be a buy and hold market. So a lot of the um, other managers and a lot of the other investors that I speak to tend to be, you know, put it in the bottom drawer, set and forget, and I'll look back in 10 years. And I think this market is going to suit us a lot more because we tend to trade the market and we tend to sell shares that have rallied a lot. We tend to buy shares that have sold off a lot. And I think the market may go nowhere for the next five years, but we should hopefully be able to take advantage of that volatility and generate good returns for our investors. And so on that point, you, you kind of, uh, there, there was a comment that the market might not go anywhere, but you're still bullish, all right? And that, that I think that speaks to, to active managers. And I think that's a, an interesting point to kind of look at what, the, what are the conditions here? Because we've got options between, I can be an index investor, so I'm just straight long, or I can be long only active or long short. I'm hearing that you, you feel pretty comfortable with uh, Longshore being the way to go through this. Yeah, I, I think if you look back over the last 10 or 20 years, being a long only manager was perfectly fine because the market tended to go up, you know, call it 10% per annum. Yeah. And that is a market that really suits long only and it suits passive because you could invest in Vanguard, you could invest in an ETF, pay virtually nothing in fees and you were getting your 10% return. If I'm right about the way the market's going to move going forward, that there's a lot more earnings risk, you've got a chance that PE multiples come down, there's obviously more geopolitical risk. I think the reasons for the market to rally strongly are hard to come up with. I think it's much more likely that we're in a, a low return environment, particularly in real returns, given inflation's higher. And on that basis, there's going to be companies that do particularly well, there's going to be companies that not, don't do so well. And being able to go long and short is a huge structural advantage that endures for us. And it's also a benefit to be able to invest overseas. You know, some of the stocks we've found have been based on Australian research, researching Australian companies. But the best way to play that insight was a company in Canada or a company in Europe or a company in China. And I think that's such a big advantage for us that we can be long or short, we can be domestic and international, we can adjust our market exposure depending on the risk reward of the market. And you know, that advantage hasn't really come to the fore as much in the last 10 years because it has been this buy and hold trending market, if, if I'm right about the way things are going, um, the flexibility in our mandate is going to be a massive advantage. And is there anything specific over and above your longshore peers that will uh, stand out L1 through this environment? Um, I, I won't word it like that, but what I, what I would say is we feel like our portfolio has some incredible valuations at the moment. Um, there are companies, um, you know, the average stock in our portfolio is on a P of nine. There's, there's literally dozens of companies that we're holding today that we think have 100% upside on a three-year view. 
and we don't have to get things exactly right. We might get a few things uh, wrong in that analysis and there'll still be 30 to 50% upside. Um, so we feel like the valuations look great, um, the macro backdrop and the way that the market is, is moving in terms of interest rates and inflation will definitely suit us. Um, it won't suit um, long duration managers like, like a lot of the growth managers. And I think that you know, the track record that we've demonstrated where we've been able to preserve investors' capital in down markets and also um, deliver strong returns when, when the market's uh, more favourable um, has, has been um, something we're really proud of. Excellent. I think, Mark, we'll leave it there. Listeners, thank you very much. And Mark, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me.